what we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome in to episode siete of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I'm David Statman, joined as always by my good friends Jake Long and Angelo Inglisa. And this week, we are going back to the Attitude Era. Survivor Series 1998 was the event that we are watching and reviewing this week. Guys, how are y'all doing? I'm doing all right. It sounds like I have the best weather right now where I live. You guys are currently in the middle of a rainstorm, it sounds like, uh, based on what we were talking before the podcast. Had a little bit of technical difficulties, but doing pretty well. Very excited. Uh, and I definitely agree with Jake that Ken Shamrock should have been pushed a lot harder. Oh, man. I have This, is, this podcast episode is my love letter to Ken Shamrock. But also, like my roof sounds like a New Japan ring right now because it is loud. Yeah, I mean, it is just pounding on my roof. A lot of pitter patter. (laughs) We've got, you know, Jake and I are both in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. And we currently, as we are recording this, there is a big thunderstorm moving through. Like I had some power flickering going on at my apartment right before we started uh, recording. So if at any point I just disappear, then you guys know why. And, and if, if David disappears, then pre- be prepared for us to go from a four-star to a five-star podcast, baby. <laughs> it's going to be like we're in the Tokyo Dome, brother. <laughs> well, Immediate so, let's, so let's jump right into this one. Survivor Series 1998. 21,000 people, the list of attendance at the Keel Center in St. Louis, November 15th, 1998. The second ever WWF pay-per-view in this building following the previous October in your house, Bad Blood, <laughs> the debut of Kane when he came in and ripped the door off the Hell in a Cell, one of the greatest debuts in the Great. history of wrestling. One of the greatest moments in, in wrestling in general. Yes. Perfect. And a special Survivor Series, because this is the first time, and I think one of only two times ever, that we have a Survivor Series pay-per-view that doesn't have a traditional Survivor Series elimination match. What was the other year? Uh, I don't remember. 2000-something. 2004? 2002, because it was the um, Elimination Chamber. Oh, okay, yeah. So when they debuted the Elimination Chamber. Yep. So instead, in its place, we have the incredibly tri-heartedly named <laughs> Deadly Game Tournaments. With that sick intro music that went along with it. <laughs> the Deadly Game! <laughs> the Deadly Game Tournaments. A 14-man single elimination tournament with the winner taking home the vacant World Wrestling Federation Championship. First WWF one-night WWF World Title Tournament since WrestleMania four. When, of Hmm. course, Macho Man Randy Savage became the WWF champion for the very first time. Rest in peace. Yes, to one of the greatest of all time. We haven't had a Randy Savage appearance on our podcast yet. I want want a Randy Savage-Elizabeth interaction on this podcast soon. Yes. So we go like 1987. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right in the sweet spot. Let's get WrestleMania 2 or WrestleMania 3. Yeah, yeah. 
Hannah, you're talking so, about Macho Man Randy Savage, but there's another goat that's going to appear very shortly on this card. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about some of the greats of all time. Boys, let's remember some guys. Oh, man, in this, this first match. <laughs> there are some guys in this, in this first match. So we, we introduce the, the event. The Fink is there. Rest in peace to the Fink, the greatest ring announcer of all time. Mm. Mr. McMahon comes out and introduces the event. He's there with his cronies, Pat Patterson. The WWF Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter, Gerald Briscoe's there. The Big Boss Man is there. Mr. McMahon's in a wheelchair for some reason. I don't remember why. It's probably because Stone Cold beat him up at some point. And we introduce the first match of the uh, the 14-man single elimination tournament. Mankind, of course, played by the great Mick Foley, who is loyal to Vince McMahon at this point. He's the hardcore champion. And he's facing a mystery opponent. And now Vince gives this guy a really grandiose intro. And the fans are all, they, they want Shawn Michaels. They think it might be Shawn Michaels. They're chanting for HBK, HBK. Vince McMahon is giving this long intro to this unknown wrestler, teasing that he is a great legendary superstar who a couple of years ago had jumped to the WCW. <laughs> and it turns out, to not be Shawn Michaels, it's not Kevin Nash, it's not Scott Hall, it's Dwayne Gill. The man, the myth, the legend, Dwayne Gill. Dwayne Gill, legendary all-time jobber in the history of pro wrestling, has the shaved head, isn't quite doing the Gilbert gimmick yet. Uh, great line by Jim Ross here saying he spent more time on the canvas than Rembrandt. <laughs> All-time line there. Dwayne Gill walks out. And it sounds like the vacuum of space. Just no reaction whatsoever. Mankind, who is clumsily wrestling in tuxedo, hits him with a double arm DDT, beats him in like one move. And that is our intro to Survivor Series 1998, the first match. Mankind wins in 30 seconds. I mean, suited Mankind was certainly a look. It was very interesting to watch. And uh, how dare he steal the paradigm shift from John Moxley. But other than that... <laughs> That's what, so one of the, like, the first note that I have is that we aren't going to have much wrestling to talk about. This is mostly, like, a storyline episode. You know what I mean? We're not going to yeah. get, like, and, and that's the Attitude Era in general. You don't always get, we've talked about that before, how you don't get a bunch of five-star matches. You get a lot more story interwoven. And, David, you were right. Vince McMahon's ankle was hurt because of Stone Cold. Uh, and I, if I remember correctly, this was following the hospital scene yes the where, iconic the iconic stone cold beating stone cold hits vince with the pan <laughs> and it makes the loudest noise ever one of my favorite scenes great gift too oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely and i you know he's wearing the suit because of vince mcmahon he he was like gifted it to like show his loyalty or whatever uh, and then they bring out, obviously, a jobber for him to beat because that's what heel leaders do to get their man over. But that's that's about all I got. I'm glad that you remember all these random intersecting Attitude Era storylines better than I do. Because <laughs> to I, me, it's like it's a haze of like The Rock is a heel sometimes, but he's not. Mick Foley yeah. is a heel sometimes, but other times he's not. And throughout the whole time, Stone Cold just beats everyone up. All time. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's all you have to remember. But all, all that I do is like I go back and look some of this up because I want to know. 
my, my when I first started watching it, I, I my first question was why is Vince in the wheelchair? So I decided that I wanted to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Jake, you mentioned that it's not a lot of wrestling; it's more so a story. And I did have I had that same thought. Uh, it's I, the thing that uh, I remember is like with Hell in a Cell, it's a setup pay per view, but that setup pay per view was not great. This wasn't necessarily a great pay per view either, just because of how it is structured. But as far as the story, the story that they're telling here is just way better. It does do a good job setting up future things. But you're right. It does leave the wrestling uh, a lot to be desired. Yeah. I mean, this this pay-per-view, and we're going to go into it like late, late on in this podcast, sets up, directly sets up some of the most iconic things in the history of WWF. Yes. So it's, you know... Obviously, there is a different level of storytelling at this point in the WWF than there is in the WWE today. I don't think there's really a, a debate there. But again, yeah, you, you suffer with the with the wrestling, and we kind of did this or the first time we did an Attitude Era uh, pay per view was King of the Ring 2000, another one night tournament where yeah, you're going to get a bunch of matches that are three minutes long. That's just kind of a result of a how stuff was booked back then, and b just the right. nature of well, you're going to do a single night tournament and the, so there's going to be like a bunch of matches and, you know, pay-per-views lasted three hours back then. You didn't have WrestleMania lasting six hours in 1998. (laughs) And this is twice as big a tournament as that King of the Ring tournament. The King of the Ring tournament had eight competitors. This is a technically a 16 man bracket, even though there's only 14 slots open, which ends up dwindling down to 13 later on, but we'll get there. Yeah. So you have twice the size of the tournament, so you're going to have matches that are even half as long. We thought those eight-man matches, like with Benoit and Rikishi, they were cut short. Oof. A lot of these matches were just four minutes long. Yeah, so we're probably going to breeze right through this. So let's get to the second match of the night. The man who broke a million guitars but never drew a dime. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, double J, taking on Jake. I have a question for you. What does everybody want? Hey, come on, you. dude. Are, do you not Al Snow? <laughs> do you really not Al Snow this hard? No, I love Al Snow, but I, I don't I don't I don't know what they're saying. They say head. It's so head. It's double That's what I thought. Okay. You had the head. Seriously, you had the head. You really disappointed me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to set Snow. you up for something cool. Jake, show I've, like, hey, we know about the attitude era. Jake, I thought you were showing modesty in all defense. I no, I just, just, give me this just just slack jawed stare into your camera. <laughs> Oh man, I am such a disappointment, especially as a guy who loves Al Snow and loves yes. the head gimmick. It's <laughs> literally his entrance music. <laughs> I was not paying good enough okay. attention. So Jeff Jarrett takes on Al Snow, and we all remember the Al Snow gimmick with head. Remember he had the mannequin head, and it was a double entendre for getting sucked off. So Jeff Jarrett takes on Al Snow. A lot of this is kind of Snow just doing most of the real moves. He does a flipping senton off the ring steps. He does a cool slingshot leg drop, like right at the beginning of the match. Tries to hit a top rope leg drop, but he misses that one. And then later on, he reverses a spine buster into a DDT. Looked really cool. Finish of the match, uh, Snow and Jarrett bump into each other. They clash heads. Deborah, who is... I don't know if she was she married to Stone Cold at this point. I can't remember. She at least ended up getting married to Stone Cold. But Deborah, who is accompanying Jeff Jarrett to the ring, distracts the ref. They both uh, Snow swings the guitar at Jeff Jarrett, misses. 
Jarrett smashes him in the face with head, but then Snow ends up bouncing back, getting it back, slamming him in the face with the mannequin head, and pinning him in another match that lasted about three minutes. One of my favorite things during this podcast has been learning things that I did not know and things that will never help me in life ever. Did y'all know Stone Cold been married four times? No, I did not. No, I did not. I didn't either. I thought he I thought he married Deborah and then I thought he was still married to her, but he's not. Ooh. He was she, married She to... alleged that he beat him up or beat her up too. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, but, you know. So they 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 were not married at this point, but uh he married somebody in 2009 and apparently he's still with her. So you all can take that information and do with it what you will. Was she still married to Mongo at that point? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Hmm. But okay. I can tell you in about two seconds. This rabbit and hole goes deep. Depending on what time, because it, it just says divorce 1998. Hmm. Interesting. Considering so, this was in November, you would guess before. But I, who knows? I, I'd say so, but... Big Mongo guy. I, I want to <laughs> give a shout out to Mongo McMichael. But... We move on again. again, again. So this is another match, right? That, again, I mean, this is going to be kind of typical of the matches we see tonight. There's like a few moves, and then it ends. I didn't realize Elias was wrestling back then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but uh, here's the thing, though. Like, Al Snow, the gimmick is silly, and it does have the double entendre. But, like, he's in in the ring. He's actually a good wrestler. I mean, I I was even though it was a short match, I enjoyed... He showed some surprising athleticism, like with the scent on over the steps. He had a slingshot leg drop that was looked pretty cool, and he flipped over the turnbuckle a la Flair we saw with, versus Steamboat. I was surprised at how well he moved around the ring. So, I mean, this match... One of the, one of the things with Al Snow was he was a good wrestler, and WWF kind of refused to push him and gave him, like, this stupid gimmick that nobody could get over, and then Al Snow ended up getting it crazy over, and it pissed off WWF, so they still didn't push it. Oh, you mean Zack Ryder. That's that's actually not entirely true. So, he was in WWF in the mid-90s. I think he was teaming up with Marty Jannetty at one point as, like, the new new rockers, whatever, and it sucked. Oh, yeah, yeah. He got released. He went to ECW, and then he there, he developed the head gimmick on his own. And then when he got brought back to WWF, he took that gimmick with him, and then it got really over. Who, who am I thinking of? Who had the mop guy? That was Perry Saturn. They did that with Perry him, Saturn. Where he had That's the mop. who I'm thinking yeah. of. Sorry. That's who you're thinking of. To all of, to all of our faithful listeners, I apologize for twice tonight already being wrong, and I promise I will never. Being wrong about Al Snow specifically. <laughs> the crazy thing I learned about Al Snow is that, so he was facing allegations, or his action figure actually was facing allegations because Someone claimed that having the decapitated human head of a woman uh, proposed a violence towards women. And then actually he adopted it into his gimmick. And Al Snow was very depressed when he didn't have his head anymore. Yeah, Hmm. it's very sad. It's very sad. But as we as as we have learned, Jake has utterly failed the Al Snow portion of our our pop quiz. Al Snow, please forgive me. (laughs) But Al Snow is moving on to the quarterfinals of the Deadly Game tournament. I will say one more quick thing. Well, I guess Angie and I both have one more thing, but I'm going first. So I love whenever guys 
get objects over. It's one of my favorite things. For example, Chris Jericho recently got the list. Yeah. He just made the list. Remember when Dean Star? Ambrose got the potted plants over? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, Double J had the, you know, Honky Tonk Man definitely did it first. Yeah. But Double J had the guitar. Double Al J, had the to, head. Be, to be fair, Double J never got anything over. <laughs> <laughs> never drew a dime. Um, and I, like I talked about Perry Saturn getting the mop. I, I, I love stuff like that where guys get random objects over and the crowd just eats it up. I love that. The one thing I was going to say is that Head had a very unique headband. Very interesting looking headband. And he just yes. calls it Head. He calls it Head. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke. Because <laughs> then people could say we want Head and it was everyone laughed and it was all a good time. So we go on to the next match. The third first round match. We have the big boss man. And then the glass shatters and the crowd goes crazy. Stone Cold Steve Austin makes our first, makes his first appearance on the two and a half marks podcast. Of course, we saw uh, a young Steve Austin when we did WCW Fall Brawl 94 getting squashed in 30 seconds by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Mm. But this is Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and in 1998, as they do still to this day, the fans loved. Stone Cold. He's taking on the big boss man, the muscle, hired muscle of Vince McMahon, who looks just like a scary badass walking out there and is all black in his bulletproof vest. I'm a big, I'm a huge big boss man guy. Always thought he looked cool. Always thought he looked like a badass. Huge Austin chance. Crowd goes crazy for him. They just brawl from the very beginning. There's these constant cutaways to Vince watching backstage. And they brawl for a few minutes. And then they're on the outside of the ring. And then Big Boss Man just takes out his nightstick and just beats the hell out of Stone Cold. And then that's a disqualification. <laughs> and Stone Cold, in about three minutes, is moving on to the quarterfinals. Hey, did you guys notice that Big Boss Man looks a lot like the Guardian Angel? Hmm. <laughs> Shut up, man. That's a very astute <laughs> observation there, Angelo. Uh, that's actually the first note I wrote. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's not a very flashy match. I mean, the crowd is just hot for Austin. You hear that glass shatter. Mm. It's so iconic. Like, I heard that glass shatter the first time watching this. I'm just like, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, the attitude in Austin's move comes across immediately. Um, just how much I kind of – I don't want to say sass because it's not sassy attitude. It's more like badass attitude. Uh, like the middle finger that he throws off when he do, uh, does his elbow off the ropes – uh, hmm. The one thing I did note as well is like, didn't we just see the storyline with Rikishi <laughs> getting that DQ push? To oh, the next yeah, round? yeah. I mean, WWE or WWF just doesn't change. It's the same stories. Well, yep. I, I actually wrote something down about this because did you guys notice how every storyline, every match was about Stone Cold? Even if Stone Cold wasn't in it, the story of the match somehow tied back to him. And I think that this match shows it like big boss man's there just to get disqualified to, to put stone cold forward. And I, about halfway through this pay-per-view, I was really intrigued because they interwove the storyline with boss man. And I love when they do that. I love when they have a storyline that takes up the entire pay-per-view. It's not overbearing, not like Brock Lesnar in some recent shows, but it's just a nice interwoven story holds everything together. It makes it feel more narrative, and I love it. And that was something that I think was very typical of how they booked shows in the Attitude Era. 
Absolutely. And I think it's one of the reasons why when you look back at the history of the WWE, booking-wise and storytelling-wise, probably the strongest era of the show. Star-making and everything, yeah. yeah. Because and, I mean, and, and, and it, it revolves around Stone Cold because at this point, I mean, they knew, WWF knew where their bread was buttered with it. I mean, they oh, knew yeah. he was the top guy. This is like the starting point, kind of, of The Rock really rising to that level. But he wasn't at that level yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was getting over and getting popular, but he wasn't at that on fire level yet. Stone Cold was the one guy who was at that level, and they knew it. So they built it all around him. And it helps that you have Vincent Kennedy McMahon playing the super role of Scooby-Doo villain. Yes. (laughs) Nobody has ever done it better in the history of wrestling, and that's not me saying it with any hyperbole whatsoever. I think that Vince McMahon is the single greatest heel in the history of wrestling. Absolutely. I I would would agree with you. It's unreal how good he is. I mean, it's just everyone wants to kick his ass. It's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, speaking of Vince, he's absolutely loving it as the big boss man is just eating up Stone Cold. Because Vince's whole mission tonight is to ensure that Stone Cold does not win the WWF championship. And then we go to a young Michael Cole, a very, very young Michael Cole, all nice and, you know, with his nice little go- goatee looking like he's about, you know, 23 years old, interviewing Vince backstage. Vince says, there's more where that came from. (laughs) We then go on to our next match, longest match of the first round. It's everybody's favorite, the very moderately over, X-Pac, the European champion, taking on the real man's man, Steven Regal. We all love to remember William Regal. But this is not remembering a guy. This is remembering a gimmick. The real man's man, Steve Regal. This was actually the last, I think, the last WWF appearance made by Steven Regal before he went back to WCW and then went back, uh, ended up coming back a couple years later to WWF as William Regal and then became the guy that we all remember from our childhoods. But Steve Regal comes out with the greatest entrance music in history, uh, wearing a construction helmet because he's a real man's man, and that's what real men, man's men do, is they do hard-working jobs like construction. <laughs> Always really enjoyed Sean Waltman's work, personally. I think he just looked fast and crisp. Everything looked good, and I thought he was one of the best workers that WWF had just throughout the 1990s. Absolutely. <laughs> Always been a big Sean Waltman guy. Is X-Pac not one of the most median guys of all time? Sure, as like a guy who, like, as like a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I always thought he was like, as as a worker, he was awesome. I agree. Especially for WWF at the time, he was awesome. But like, he was just like the perfect guy to always keep around the mid card, give him like one championship opportunity in his career, but he kind of always fights for the Intercontinental and just always does a good job. Yeah. And just had good matches all the time. I, I, I told you guys before, like, one of my favorite pastimes is to watch. Sean Maltman, one, two, three kid matches from like 1993, 1994. And he's doing all these kind of top rope moves that you don't really see back then. And listen to Randy Savage lose his goddamn mind on commentary. Like he is watching the moon landing for the first time. It's so much fun. I'll say this too. X-Pac in this match. Uh, X-Pac, excuse me. I already butchered the Did name. Did you just say X-Pac? Yes. X-Pac. 
He's, back. He's not the bastard. <laughs> X-Pac. Uh, he did a lot in this match. I was. I see what David saw, sees in him. Yes, I'm a big Sean Waltman guy. But yeah, this is the. They gave him about eight minutes, which again is the longest match of this first round. A lot of it is Regal just kind of working some holds on him and working some holds on him and working some holds on him. He hits a pretty cool double arm suplex off the top rope at one point. Um, X Pac hits the Bronco Buster, which the fans always love because it was kind of sexual. And this is 1998. It's the Action Era. They go crazy for anything that involves a penis. <laughs> Eventually, Pac goes up to the top rope, but Regal knocks him out of the ring. We fight outside. Pac reverses him into a big suplex on the floor, and then we get a double countout. But then, wait a second, this would mean that Stone Cold is going to get a buy into the semifinals because mm-hmm. only, only winners advance in the Deadly Game tournament. Vince is not going to have this. He tells Sergeant Slaughter to go out and make overtime happen in this match. Sergeant Slaughter runs out. And he tells Howard Finkel that there is going to be a five-minute sudden-death overtime, which doesn't make any sense to me because if it's a sudden-death overtime and you're trying to make sure that Stone Cold doesn't move on with a bye to the semifinals, why give it a time limit? doesn't make hey, any shape, sense. dude. It's like staying Vader again. But the match ends anyway because Pac is just selling an injury, so he just walks away and he never comes back. And then Regal just runs off after him. So it's still just a double countout, despite all that. Um, and Stone Cold is moving on to the semifinals. Dave that, Meltzer called this, quote, so illogical it should have been booked in WCW. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, was that a booking? Like, was, or was X-Pac, because I know he had neck injuries. Was this actually an injury that he couldn't continue the match? I don't know. I would guess that it's just how they booked it. Because but it doesn't really make any sense at all. That because I kept asking myself that after watching this match, I was just like, "This was a good match." Yeah, and it's a weird ending. It's a weird finish. It doesn't seem like it was planned, but of course, that's kind of like Vince's thing is go- swerving and doing mm. the weird thing. Plans change. Plans change. Plans change, brother. So I don't know. That kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. But this match was really good. I really there's a lot of cool spots. Um, the blo- early on in the match, you see X Pac go for a Fame Master, which Regal blocks, and then <laughs> instead, X Pac flips into a heel kick, which looked really cool. Um, you also have a smooth ripcord gut wrench slam by Regal in the corner. Again, that double arm suplex from the top rope, which is, looked to be the injury that X Pac was selling. Uh, really cool. I we don't see a lot of double arm suplexes anymore, so I kind of like the move. It's one of the ones oh, I've I'm, seen. I'm, I'm bringing the double arm suplex. Please back. do. It's an awesome move. Uh, and I think this just clashes styles with Regal being this brawler, this submission guy. He's going to go at a slower pace. And then X-Pac, who's a lot more fast-paced, high risk. The fact that those two guys were in the ring and they have the, such different styles, I think, really made this match, even though it's only eight minutes, really enjoyable to watch. Um, You know what, Ange? I disagree. I disagree very strongly. You thought this, this match, match was boring? Was, oh, yeah, dude. What are you? <laughs> you knew I was going to say that. Stephen Regal. Listen, Angelo gets excited about the most mundane things. Stephen Regal held him in holds for five minutes of an eight-minute match. X-Pac hits one Bronco Buster, and Angelo's like, man, that was exciting. I didn't even list the Bronco that. Buster. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just, like, I, at this point, 
I'm I was starting to like get the idea. Oh, okay, this is what this pay per view is, and I knew that going in, but. I guess I expected a little more still, and that's that's on me. I get it. I just I don't have anything to say about this match because I just didn't care about. Then it. were you not it's, entertained yeah, by Kane, the Kane mask, Mankind mask, and Goldust makeup in the front row? At the very least, you should have found that entertaining. I, I really didn't notice it, but at least it was there. This is all again just for Stone Cold, which I love, but this match served just. To give Vince McMahon fuel and you know serve the whole Stone Cold storyline. Yes. So uh, one one last thing, the Stephen Regal, the 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 real man's man gimmick. I encourage everybody out there to go back and find the YouTube video of the Daniel Bryan William Regal match. Um, it was towards the end of Regal's active career. It was on like Saturday Morning Slam or one of those like <laughs> WWE shows that nobody watches and that I don't think exists anymore. But I think it's Regal's birthday or something. And Brian pranks him by when Regal walks out, he has them play the Real Man's Man theme song. Oh my God. You can see Regal just absolutely just laughing his ass off. It is a very wholesome <laughs> and funny moment. And it's a really good match also. So yeah, I, I encourage everybody. I'm pretty sure that's on YouTube. So I encourage everybody to go find that video. Jake, this is now your time uh, to wax uh, poetic about how much you love Ken Shamrock. The next match of the first round is Ken Shamrock and our good friend Dustin Rhodes, Gold Dust, in the second to last first round match. Ken Shamrock, who looks just like an absolute monster. He is ripped to shreds. The world's most dangerous man, the intercontinental champion, can he become the double champ like the Ultimate Warrior or Tetsuya Naito, Tetsuya Two Belts? Can he become a double champ? Ken just beats him up for a while. There's actually more actual wrestling in this match than most other matches on the card, and certainly every other match to this point. Goldust sets him up for the Shattered Dreams. He's about to destroy Ken's nutsack, but the, refs get, the ref gets in the way. Ken turns it around, hits kind of a sloppy Frankensteiner from out of the corner, belly-to-belly suplex, ankle lock, gold dust submits in six minutes, and Ken Shamrock is moving on. Listen, Ken Shamrock should have been pushed to the moon. I want you to look at him and tell me if you don't see Brock Lesnar before Brock Lesnar. This man was a legitimate badass in UFC, and or not in the UFC, not at the time. And and oh, yes, 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 in the UFC at this time. Oh, in the UFC, the UFC, yeah, for by for a few years by that point. Oh no, see, I, I didn't think it was the UFC yet. I thought it was. Uh, no, he was a he was a big star player. in the UFC. I mean, a, a legitimate badass who could beat you up. He he should have been able to come in and adopt that same gimmick in wrestling, where he just shows up. He's he's a, a shoot monster. He just beats the hell out of everybody and he could have been pushed to the moon and i just don't understand why like two of his like shining roles were as uh assist or as a uh, special guest referees you know he was the special guest referee for wrestlemania 13 um the famous heart versus stone cold match you know he's he's a side character in in that awesome match and i just don't think that does him justice and there's a shamrock match that sticks out in my head David, I don't know if you'll be able to correct me if I'm wrong or not, but he fought in the Heart Dungeon, I'm pretty sure. Yes. He fought, I don't think it was Brett. 
It was Owen. That's what I thought. He it thought was he... Owen in the Hard Family Dungeon match because this was at this was after, if I remember correctly, it was after Brett went to WCW, but Bre- Owen was still around. Yeah, it, it was like it was like an In Your House. It might have been like I don't remember Let's which one here. it was. In Your House, uh, fully loaded. Ah man, July look, of nineteen ninety eight. There you go. I had, I had a good idea, and like even in that match, he was so good. It's in a freaking basement. They wrestle in a basement <laughs> and put on a fantastic match. I would wax poetic about Ken Shamrock till the day I die. So, Angelo, you better start talking soon or else, I don't know, my, hey, my clothes are going to be off. You can still <laughs> watch Ken Shamrock today. He's in uh, Impact right now. And he's still jacked as hell as an old man. He's like he's 55 years old. And he's got like a 10-pack. I do see Impact clips and I do see Ken Shamrock frequently mentioned. And, yes, he his is matches, still jacked. His matches now are terrible i haven't watched i haven't watched impact since like 2018 slammiversary and i feel as though now i have to i mean jake you said brock lesnar the first thing i wrote down is when i saw ken shamrock walk out is just how did this guy not get the lesnar treatment even if he was just a part-timer the guy has the look he's actually pretty good in the ring like he's no it's not like you're seeing Tyson Fury go out there and hit a few punches. Like he's actually b- has a decent move pool for a guy who has his UFC background in this wrestling ring. Um, before I get into some of the moves that stuck out, I mean, Goldust entrance back then with that weird cinematic feel is just super cool. I mean, it's weird seeing Goldust around a world title, but I mean, the guy for Dustin's Road Son in the WWF doing a gimmick that. I don't think a lot of people could pull off. And the fact that he did it as well as he did is just impressive. The fact that he's in the world title hunt for this pay-per-view is just a little bit mind-blowing considering how I grew up watching WWE book him. Uh, Shamrock doing a dropkick actually had my jaw hit the floor because I was not expecting that in his arsenal. I was expecting more of the brawler, uh, physical submission kind of specialist. Uh, but he does a dropkick here. He also does a Hurricane Rana. Even if it's sloppy as all hell, it, he still does a Hurricane Rana, which is just insane for a guy built like that. Uh, and also just how he transitioned and sells, whether he's selling the other person's offense or how he's transitioning from a hold into the next move set. Uh, it it looks clean and smooth. I'm very surprised the guy from UFC had that ability. Is that, is that innate ability? Because with Lesnar matches, we just see, oh, finisher, finisher, finisher. <laughs> and you don't really see a Define match. It's just finisher spam. If you, if you go back to to like 2003, Brock Lesnar, you were gonna get some matches. I really want that. that I really want the Eddie Brock match. The what? The Eddie Brock match. I need to go back. Dude, I need to need, watch you, that. You need to just go watch it on your own because you want to talk about story and wrestling and everything. I watched the finish. And I'm just like, I need to see the whole thing now. Mm, whole thing. Brock, Brock as an athlete was oh. absurd. I mean, <laughs> and, and and I mean, you know, the, the famous. There's the famous, you know, the, the match uh, where the WrestleMania match where he tries to do the shooting star press and he lands directly on his head. And, and that's, you know, disastrous. But there's other videos of him doing that move and landing it perfectly. Yeah. And it is just an unbelievable sight to behold a man of that size doing a shooting star press and just hitting it perfectly. <laughs> I can't kind of answer your questions about like Ken Shamrock is a monster. He's a real-life MMA superstar. He was, like, legitimately a household name at the time. And he looks like a monster. He's a great athlete. He's so cool. Why didn't he get the Brock treatment? I think the difference is Ken Shamrock was 
maybe six feet tall and 200, 210 pounds. Yeah. Brock Lesnar is six foot three, six foot four, 270, 280 pounds. I, yeah, and you could and you could tell his height didn't quite stack up because Gold Dust is a uh, Dustin Rhodes is is a pretty big guy, but he still looked believable at least to me. I did notice the height thing. The height thing was very apparent yeah. in the very beginning of this match. But the way he, the way he carries himself in the ring, you don't really notice it as the match goes on. Has but anybody I mean, ever looked at a six foot tall dude and been like, man, yeah, he's just not big enough? I know, but this is this is Vince McMahon. I, I mean, know, I know. This is a he guy who bent. today. Um, is giving a guy, Chad Gable, who's 5'8", 5'9", he's taller than Angelo is, giving him a gimmick. I mean, like, not tall, but certainly not a short guy. He's shorty. giving him a gimmick where everyone just makes fun of him for being short all the time. He's shorty G, even though he's average height. Yeah, he's 5'8". I mean, he's really not that short. He's like average height, maybe slightly below average height. And how do you feel about that? I mean, I'm billed at 5'8", so that's cool. <laughs> so... But that's the way it is, man. The WWF, baby. Ken never really went over. He never fully really got that push. And Could it kind of sucks, even though because Ken Shamrock is awesome. I completely agree with you. Last quarterfinal match of the evening. Here comes The Rock. And he gets a big pop because he's The Rock. And everyone loves The Rock. And this is one of the best versions of The Rock. Sideburns Rock. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best forms of The Rock. And it's supposed to be a big-time banner matchup between The Rock and Triple H. They play Triple H's music, and Triple H isn't there. Instead, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe come out with these huge shit-eating grins, and they're crotch-chopping, and they're doing the whole making fun of DX thing. Turns out, Triple H is injured, and he's not here. And we sent him tickets to come, but he didn't show up. So screw you, fans. Here comes the big boss man again as the, res- as, as the replacement to Triple H. Big boss man who's already been eliminated once from the tournament walks into the ring. They ring the bell. He immediately gets inside cradled by the rock. He pins him in three seconds. Like the entire three seconds it took for the referee to count three. That was the entire match. Yeah. Remember when we said that this was a 14 man tournament? Yeah, it was 13 because of big boss man. Yes. <laughs> and that's so it about this match. Yes. Oh, hold on. Hold on. What, what does my, I'm going to read you all my notes verbatim. Quick match. Thankfully, continue. <laughs> Love sideburns, Rock, though. <laughs> Do that eyebrow, I, though. I have more to say about The Rock later on when it matters. The first quarterfinal match of the evening, these two guys received a bye, so they did not take part in the first round. It's the Brothers of Destruction facing off The Undertaker and Kane. I'm going to say it right here. The Undertaker has had a few different themes throughout his career. Of course, the one now we talk about, you know, the American badass theme from from Kid Rock. This is the best Undertaker theme. It is so sick. It's so much more intimidating. Yeah, it's so it's got like the guitar riffs in there. I think was this like the actual like Ministry of Darkness theme? I'm trying to remember. I can't really remember. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's dope. I feel like it was. It was awesome, and I, it should be his permanent theme. Um, he comes out with Paul Bear, of course, rest in peace, classic manager, and 98 Kane, who was Ooh. a monster. I mean, the guy, Kane in 1998 was a freak of nature. I mean, this is a guy who was seven feet tall, 300 pounds, 
and his biceps are the size of my head. <laughs> it's terrifying. I'm going to say something about Kane. And this is going to sound a little weird because I'm trying not to make it sound like a, I think he's a better wrestler than Taker. I don't think a big man moves better than Kane ever. Just hmm. from a pure seven-foot-tall movement standpoint, Kane looks so good. Yes. I, I mean, he's definitely high on the list. And it's a good thing because Taker was moving slow right. in this match. It is a good thing that Kane was moving around a little bit more. Other, otherwise, this match would have been worse than it was. As it was, really slow, kind of plotting match. Taker really doesn't do much. There's not a whole lot really to say about this match at all, period. Um, Bear gets involved a little bit. They both go for the choke slam at the same time, but Kane powers through him and hits the choke slam. But at the critical moment of the match, Paul Bear, he distracts the ref. It gives, the take, it gives Taker the chance to slip away turn around, hit the tombstone pile driver, and The Undertaker wins in a match that took about seven minutes. I know you said it was plotting, but both those guys, I mean, they get trod out nowadays. And it was just nice to be able to see them actually be able to move as opposed to being stiff pieces of lumber that just kind of zombie around the ring. So I did enjoy seeing them actually have some of their athleticism left. Uh, there is, You're right, there wasn't a lot in this match. It wasn't super flashy by any means. I mean... There was an arm wrench kick by Taker that caught me off guard because Taker doing that kind of like uh, that kind of kick is out of the ordinary for him. Also, seeing him work the knee of an opponent like he's not really a big submission guy or someone that targets extremities other than maybe his arm for like old school or the submission uh, Hell's Gate. So seeing him work the knee in this match was interesting too. I mean, I know he's pr- the heel in this matchup technically, uh, so that was interesting. Kane getting up after no-selling the pin, though. So, like, he takes the tombstone, he gets pinned, obviously, but then he gets right up afterwards like nothing happened. It just is, like, a blip in the system, like a machine. I don't know. I thought it was a cool little story that they told, and uh, you're right. It wasn't a lot to really but, take and note how of. Many, how many Undertaker Kane matches from 1998 have you seen? And, I, and that's not, it's not meant to be a oh, just Oh, no, I know it's not. It's just one, but I'm sure there are better matches. But there was, are two very better matches. Oh, I know that. I was hope a, so. There was an Inferno match at Unforgiven that same year that was really good. And then they had a fantastic match at Mania earlier that year that was probably their best match ever. Uh, yeah, maybe. De- definitely in contention, though. Yeah. But that's why, like, like I'm kind of frustrated because they just kind of run this match back again. You know what I mean? For the yeah. sake of Stone Cold. <laughs> Exactly. You're catching on, Ange. I like it. They just run it back for Stone Cold again. Yeah. And great. I love Stone Cold, but uh, you know, I'm. I don't think we could have done this some other way. I guess is what I'm saying. They just kind of did the same thing they've always done. They're two big guys and brothers who hate each other, and they've wrestled. You know. Yep. Well, we then go on to the second quarterfinal match of the night. Mankind. And Al Snow, Angelo, you mentioned that uh, Head has a very interesting-looking headband on. Turns out that that is Mankind's beloved Mr. Sacco that Vince McMahon stole from Mankind and put it on Head as a, some kind of prank or something. I don't know. Yeah, very dastardly heel move by Vince McMahon, stealing another man's sock. You never do that. Snow hits him in the, with, with a chair on the outside, but for some reason there's no DQ. 
they kind of do like New Japan rules throughout the whole uh, event where like you can just sort of hit people with chairs sometimes and it's okay. But like if you like get somebody else involved, that might be a DQ. But also Big Boss Man gets DQ'd for hitting a guy with a nightstick. So I'm not really sure where they draw the line on this. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Kayfabe, dude. They are just ruining kayfabe. Jim Cornette is fuming. (laughs) (laughs) He's furious. But yeah, uh, Snow hits him with a chair. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Mankind then flapjacks him onto the chair, which probably hurts a little bit. Snow gets head. He swings and misses. Mankind hits him with a back suplex. All of a sudden, he picks up head, and he realizes, wait, that's Mr. Socko tied around head. This is not going to stand. So he goes crazy. He's mad. He's kicking the head around everywhere. He then hits the double arm DDT. On goes Sako. Mandible claw. <laughs> and out go Al Snow's lights. Four-minute match. Afterwards, Mankind continues to go insane just on an inanimate object. At this point in this pay-per-view, I had decided I, I, I had decided I really didn't like it. I was not a fan at this point. Because... They were just rushing through everything. And I understand it's for that overarching story because I, you know, if anybody listening is probably sick of me saying that, but this was literally three minutes of a match that could have been super fun, like head versus Sako, you know? And it was, it was, I know you just had four minutes. I have three. Regardless, it was like pointless, basically. They're rushing to get to the end. Yeah, they are. And this pay per view was on the network was two hours and 45 minutes and there was barely any backstage or anything else. It was like one match after another. I, I, I would have loved to have seen it be like an eight man tournament with actual matches. Yeah. But. Does, I mean, do we really need Jeff Jarrett in this tournament? <laughs> we really need two big boss man appearances. Do we, we really need we, Dwayne Gill? Like we could have just done right. this with eight and it probably would have been good. Or and, and they've done this before where like they do the first round on like SmackDown or Raw. Yeah. And then the pay-per-view is the semis and the championship or something like that, which is uh, which is interesting. You can tell a great story in this match, this match, and then the final. Look what they were doing with the IC title right now on SmackDown. Right. I mean, that, that was a fun story. Yeah, exactly. And it's compelling and you're interested. This it's also it's all a setup for a, a, a decent uh, I, I actually I don't want to say decent payoff because the ending of it is all kind of terrible, but in theory, a decent payoff. Yeah, I mean, there's not we'll a lot of notes, the there's not a lot notes I have for this match. I mean, the crowd popping for Mr. Sacco was really cool and fun. So but, did I. I mean, yeah, obviously, Mr. Sacco is <laughs> really cool and fun. But, I mean, the entire night, Mankind is kind of, there's no pop for him whatsoever in either direction, which makes sense. Hearing the crowd pop for him for Mr. Sacco was good, but then as soon as he gets done with his next match... Obviously, he gets the ire of the crowd, so it's just mankind playing his role as Vince's stooge. So, I mean, that part of the story makes a lot of sense. It's probably booked really well, but as terms of watchability or entertainment value, again, much like a lot of this pay-per-view, and like you said, Jake, they said it's like we're rushing towards the end. There's two matches on this card that have nothing to do with the WWF championship. Only two matches. Mm-hmm. And they make up a total of, let me make sure I got this right, 11 minutes and 37 seconds of match time on a two-hour and 45-minute pay-per-view. Yep. 
Yep, you're you're catching on. So how it is? That's frustrating, and uh, at least the story is meaningful. I would say that because if this is sto- if the story was awful, this is just a pay per view that has no real merit to watch or go back. Did and you watch. watch the ending? I did, and I actually have a contradictory take. Oh boy! Hmm. Well, <laughs> looking let's, forward to that when we let's get act there. Like them and rush forward. Third and final quarterfinal match because again, Stone Cold Steve Austin has a bye straight to the semifinals. It's The Rock and Ken Shamrock, and this, in my opinion, easily the best match of the night to this point. One of the better matches, probably between this and the final for best match of the night, in my opinion. It's it's pretty good stuff. Uh, it's moving pretty fluidly. Guys are actually doing things and, you know, looking kind of athletic. And it's, you know, it's a nice change of pace. Big boss man, of course, comes out and he's pacing around. And you know he's going to get involved some way because that's just how it works. It's Chekhov's nightstick. Um, Shamrock <laughs> hits the Hurricane Rana, locks in the ankle lock. But the Rock gets to the rope, ends up hitting the people's elbow. People go crazy. But Ken Shamrock kicks out. Ken is reverses the rock bottom into a belly to belly suplex. We're coming on the last couple moments of this match. Big boss man tosses in the nightstick and it looks like he's trying to throw it to Ken, but the rock makes a great interception. He like jumps across half the ring and grabs it with one hand. I mean, the guy, he was a D one football player. This guy's an athlete. He makes a nice play on the ball and he grabs the nightstick. And as the referees turn around, he lays Ken Shamrock out with the nightstick and he pins him to move on to the semifinals, eight minutes and 20 seconds. Now, since this is a Ken Shamrock match, I'm going to give Jake the honor of going first. I do want to hear his Ken Shamrock opinions here. I love Ken Shamrock. No, uh, I I don't have a whole lot more to say about him because I kind of covered it. But again, he looked great in this match. I thought Rock looked really good. It was the one thing I noticed was just how big of a Roman Reigns fan Big Boss Man must be. Because he dresses just like him. Yeah. <laughs> he really wanted to be in the shield. Um, Man, he must have hated <laughs> Kurt Angle. Sorry, David. I was, I, was a, I was reading my notes. I didn't hear what you said. And then once I realized what you said, it was too long to laugh. But very, very, very relevant joke. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 this was probably my favorite match, honestly, because it was actually something. And I enjoyed watching the two of them. And I loved the the throwing the the nightstick in and the rock catches it. I thought that was really, it looks really good. Yeah, it does. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy for someone to like drop that or make it like a poor throw. Cause it's like, it's like an oblong stick. Like it's not, I I can't, I I don't know how like really aerodynamic it is. Like, I I mean like the exact effect that is intended is like, he's trying to throw it around the rock to Ken Shamrock Mm -hmm. with the rock just, snags it like you know like chart like peanut tillman in his prime <laughs> and that's exactly what happens and it looks great like it's perfect yeah i i i really enjoyed the ending but uh I've, I've already talked about my love affair with ken shamrock so thanks Andy. so one of the things i noticed in this match was uh the rock who is the face at this point uh utilizing some heel tactics throughout this Ooh, match heel so you have the face rock utilizing uh, the full five count twice on the ropes, <laughs> choking Shamrock. You have a lot of stiff moves, a lot of stiff punches on both sides. Um, you have a rock float over DDT that leads to a low blow on Ken Shamrock. And then he uses the nightstick 
which would normally cause a DQ. You don't see a lot of faces use foreign objects to win matches. So I don't know what they're doing here, yeah. but it's very weird to book a face this way. Yeah. But uh, Sham again, Sham another ode to Shamrock, I guess, is uh, his facial expression after The Rock did not pass out when he had him in that chin lock was top tier. Just an top tier reactions like how what do you mean he's not passed out uh but yes that night stick interception is really cool uh kicking out of the people's elbow got a great pop from the crowd so this is probably the best match on the card because it doesn't drag in any place it does feel very consistent and action-packed uh but again you kind of it's more build up towards the final here yeah the rock maybe using a little bit of heel tactics perhaps some sort of foreshadowing i'm not sure We'll get there. Find out at 11. We now move away from the tournament for a, a brief moment for the Women's Championship, which had only just recently been reactivated after a few years of not existing in the WWF. We have Sable taking on the champion Jacqueline, who is accompanied by marvelous Mark Marrow, who, of course, we saw as Johnny B. Bad. Johnny B. Bad. And WCW Fall Brawl, who at the time was in real life married to Sable. And then they ended up getting divorced, and Sable is now married to Brock Lesnar. So a lot of people would say that she really traded up in a major way. <laughs> um, but it's super easy to forget that Sable was one of the most over people in the Oh Empire. my gosh. It was insane. She was like, and she, like, if you look, like, look back, huge like ratings and money mover for the wwf people were crazy about sable it just goes to just how many horny teenagers there were watching wwf <laughs> millions millions <laughs> sable and jacqueline though they're actually having a wrestling match it's a normal match it's not like one of the you know bikini matches or Thankfully. hardcore evening mm -hmm. gown matches type stuff that we had quite frequently back in those days it's another really short one. Um, Sable actually hits Mark Miro's TKO move at one point. Miro pulls her out of the ring as she goes for the pin, and she hits him in the nuts, and then power, bom power bombs him onto the floor, which was pretty cool. Um, I always mark out for like a woman, a woman hitting a man with like a power move. Yeah. I always think that's really cool. Like when Ronda Rousey like uh, slammed Triple H through the oh, table. Oh, yes, so sick. Fun. That was awesome. Um. Jacqueline goes for the tornado DDT, but Sable throws her off and she lands on the floor. And then finally Sable hits the Sable bomb and she becomes the new women's champion. Again, another match that lasted three minutes. This, you know, and this match was three minutes, but you know, your, your summary kind of told the story of it. It was fun. It was actually, it was entertaining. I know it was short, but I, I would like, I think it would be interesting to go back and trace where the women's revolution started because I bet some of their roots are traced to Sable. Would you agree? And just how over um, she was, like how, how much people loved her. At least. But Sable wasn't over as like a wrestler necessarily. She wasn't like that, a bad yeah. wrestler, but she also like never took bumps ever. China but would probably be up was there over, as well. She was over because she was incredibly attractive. That's true. Mostly. But like, like Ange with China, like China was treated pretty much just like another wrestler on the on the roster because she was she was fighting guys pretty routinely so i don't know i was just as i was watching it i was like man they are crazy for sable 
and I just, I didn't realize that that was so common in the, in the nineties, you know, like if you watch, if you watch late two thousands, early 2010 divas matches, not a single person in the stands made a sound for those matches. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but for this match, they were going crazy and rightfully so. Cause yeah. Sable's power bomb is really cool. All of those and, matches, all of those matches, 10 to 15 years later are three minute matches where nobody's over and nobody cares. This was a three minute match, but one of the people was really over and right. people care. Okay. And so I mean, maybe, if you watch the show, like or if you, if you, if you watch this event, there are more Sable signs in the crowd than there are for anybody else except for like Stone Cold and Rock. Yeah, which which I I mean that's you know the signs in these uh, pay per views are a very good meter of what the crowd wants. If you're going to take the time to make a sign and you didn't make it for Rock or uh, Stone Cold and you made it for Sable, that says a lot about where where your interest was in the card. But but you know I didn't get the feeling that they were just into her for how and I know that I know they were into her for her attractiveness, but I didn't get that vibe because they were legit excited that she won. Yeah, yeah, I, it's similar similar take there. I mean, the sable bomb on Miro was just Im- amazing. The pop the pop <laughs> you get from that Miro giving off some big James Ellsworth energy. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the crowd. Because it was more of a typical match. It wasn't anything gimmicky or demeaning. It was a genuine wrestling match. So for this time, that's pretty much all you could ask for in terms of rewatchability for today's era. Because yeah. there's a lot out there that would be a lot worse. And it wasn't a what, – what, what was that match? An evening gown match? Hardcore evening yes. gown match between two, what, 50, 60-year-old men? No, what was – David? No, what they was actually match? did like a real evening gown match. Yeah, what was the oh. match where you had to had you like you had to get the it was a was it a bra and panties match? Yeah, you had to like yeah. get the like that is oh uh, it's like it's so demeaning whenever they can do this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this Hate really it. I mean like this isn't a great match or anything, but it's better than like right probably Regal versus X Pac honestly. Right, that's <laughs> kind of, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at was they they yeah. they gave them three minutes they did their thing. And they got out of it. Great. Yeah. Love it. And the fans liked it. The fans were into it. Yes. Starting with the semifinals of the Deadly Game Tournament. <laughs> Mankind and Stone Cold. What way is Vince McMahon going to figure out to screw Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> out of winning this tournament and becoming the WWF champion? Well, we have Mankind and Stone Cold. They brawl. And for some reason, one thing that I, I really noticed was that uh, they're billing mankind as a 300 pounder. Like, like JR oh said, calls him a 300 pounder and there's no way. I mean, like no. Mick Foley is not a svelte man, but he's maybe 260, 250, 260. You could tell and me 270. I mean, calling him 300 pounder is like, <laughs> come on. Even if it's like was- saying that Andre, the giant is seven foot five. <laughs> there's no way <laughs> but mankind and austin they brawl at the beginning of the match austin is still kind of selling from getting beaten down by the boss man in his first match austin he rips off mankind's tuxedo jacket he takes off uh mankind's fancy shoes and he hits him with it mcmahon gets wheeled to ringside he's there with patterson and briscoe 
mankind tries to run away, but then he needs Patterson, Patterson and Briscoe kind of gently lead him back to the ring, and they're all huddled together. Austin runs out there, gives him a, a triple noggin knocker altogether. Um, he tries to powerbomb mankind on the floor, but he ends up getting backdropped onto the concrete. And then from there, they just brawl into the crowd. They're brawling and brawling for a lot of this match. Uh, mankind, a, D, a chair gets introduced to the ring. Mankind hits him with a double arm DDT onto the chair, which again, somehow isn't the disqualification. Um, but Austin kicks out. He wants to pile drive him onto the chair, but Austin gets out and then we get the stunner. First stunner of the night. Austin hits the stunner on Mankind, but all of a sudden Vince McMahon, he jumps out of his wheelchair and grabs the ref and beats him up. Turns out Vince McMahon didn't need the wheelchair he was swerving everybody. Who would have imagined that Vince McMahon would do such a thing? All of a sudden, the ref is gone. We don't have a ref. Vince McMahon just beat up the ref. So Mankind, who by this point is literally falling out of his pants, <laughs> he puts on the mandible claw. Austin hits him in the nuts. We get another stunner. Shane McMahon, who at this point is pretending to be a baby face and in storyline has been demoted by his angry father, Vince, to just be a lowly referee and actually did not mention this when we talked about the Sable Jacqueline match, he refereed that match and it was just a normal match. Doesn't get involved. Didn't do anything funny. It was just Shane McMahon refereeing the match. Shane comes back in as the referee and you're thinking, Oh, you know, he's a baby face. He's going to help Austin out. He counts two and then he stops and he refuses to count three. And then he flips off stone cold. And it turns out Shane McMahon is a heel all along. Who could have ever seen this? No. Right? Who could have ever seen this coming? <laughs> Finally, Jerry Briscoe comes in, hits Stone Cold with the weakest chair <laughs> shot in the history of chair <laughs> shots, and then Mankind pins him to move on to the final. Stone Cold is eliminated. The McMahon crew runs away back to the dressing room area. The fans are all throwing stuff at McMahon and company. They make a getaway in their limo, so Stone Cold steals some guy's SUV and chases them out of the building, and that's all we see from that out of them for a little while. Yeah, the uh, one thing I noticed throughout this match is just kind of like the poetic stripping down of Mankind back to his normal ring gear. Uh, especially with the story that they're telling throughout, that they tell in the final. Uh, I thought it was like, it had a good purpose and wasn't just like Stone Cold wanting to beat the crap out of him. I thought it was just kind of a good show of what's to come because Mankind was... If you think about it as a logic, bringing logical thinking into the world of wrestling, mankind was never going to be the champion that Vince ever wanted. Mankind did not did not deserve to be on that platform in Vince's kayfabe head. Uh, he do, mankind though does have a very vicious knee in the corner to Stone Cold that looked really impactful. Uh, the slugfest that goes into the crowd. I, I'm a big sucker for matches that. It's just hitting each other. Like uh, the Minoru, Minoru Suzuki match that we just saw for the New Japan Cup versus, uh, forget his name, Blue something. Yuji Nagata. Blue Yuji Justice. Nagata, yeah. Blue <laughs> Justice. Uh, it's just them hitting the crap out of each other with closed fists, and it's entertaining as all hell. Uh, that's kind of what I felt like when they were in the crowd. Uh, Vince getting out of his chair, you bastard. You, How dare you lie about your injury? Shane, how dare you screw over Stone Cold, the man you signed for a five-year contract? Uh, and then you have some Stone Cold Grand Theft Auto. 
and that weak ass <laughs> chair shot because I also have that note, and I've been hanging around with David too much. Mm-hmm. That um, like if if you like matches that are just guys hitting each other, you would love Suzuki's like last ten years. Because that's pretty much what he's been doing. Suzuki just cackling whenever he's taking pain or take his trading punches is just by far the best thing ever. I don't know how he hasn't been cast as like a Bond villain yet. Because <laughs> he is legitimately a scary man. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love him. Um, I, I, for one, was a big fan of the Shane false finish because I popped. Oh, yeah. I, I, I forgot that right after this, the corporation started. And I was like, oh, man, like Shane's going to save the day. He goes, one, two. And just stops, and I was like, "Oh, you dirty little heel boy!" And I, I, I definitely popped for it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know what my hot take from this was? And I, if we ever get big, people are gonna dig this take up out of the dirt on me. Um, Stone Cold wasn't a great worker, and I think people forget that. Um, I'm gonna. Okay, so. This is post Owen Hart match breaking Breaking the stone. Yes. And he, I mean, he was really known as like a very, very good technical worker before he broke his neck in that match. And then afterwards he had to kind of reinvent himself with this brawling style. Yeah. He has like five moves. Like he punches guys, he does the Luthez press, he stomps a mud hole. He, (laughs) uh, you know, he hits the stunner. He's got like five moves. Right. And, but and he makes up for it by being the character. Yeah. And I and I genuinely do like watching him brawl. Because I think him do the things that he does, they look really good. He's one of my favorite brawling wrestlers of all time. Because, and Angel kind of alluded to this when we talked about the first match he was on. Everything he does looks like really... Sh- and, and you can tell that he's like really safe about it. Like he's not stiffing anybody or anything. But everything he does looks like he's really just... You know, he's got a lot of energy and a lot of anger and a lot of fire, and he's just beating the hell out of the guy. It's like it's straight so out of a bar fight. Hold. He's stopping a mud hole in the guy, and he's walking <laughs> it dry. Like, it, there's I, a lot I of love... energy and a lot of fire in everything that he does, and it looks good, even though right. you can tell that it's really safe. He was really, really good at what he did. But maybe yeah, maybe that's what I should have said. Neck, he was much more limited in the ring than he was before. And, and, and maybe that's what I should have said was that, not that he isn't fantastic, because he's one of my favorites of all time, but it's definitely not because he's, He's not Will Ospreay. Yeah, he's you know not. I mean? He wasn't. He wasn't Bret Hart or somebody like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was. He was great because he was a legendary worker. Yes, and that's. Um, I I guess that's my hot take, and I don't think a lot of people would disagree with me saying that. But I don't think it's something that really gets talked about is Steve Austin's work rate. That's just yeah. not something that comes up a lot, um, in conversation. How did you guys feel? I, I know David's already said that Vince was the greatest heel of all time, but. Did you guys get bothered by the McMahon presence this entire pay-per-view? Not really, no. I thought they did a good job of... It was over the top, and there was a lot of it, but it never felt forced, if that makes sense. Like The Shane McMahon angle that they were running with Roman Reigns, absolutely forced, absolutely unnecessary, and just did not lead to a good story. Whereas with what they did with the McMahons here actually felt more genuine or interesting, at least. Yeah, okay. I yeah. think it makes sense with, as you kind of talk about, Jake, the 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 overarching storyline moving through the whole show. And it is kind of self-indulgent, obviously, 
but it's the McMahons. I mean, that's just how they are. You know, they're going to, you know, it's, it's the WWF is going to be the McMahon show. That's just how it is. Yeah, that's true. Self-indulgent, but there were definitely times where it was way worse. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. One more uh, semifinal match left to go. The Rock and The Undertaker. So Rock comes back out. This is one of those matches where you have two guys who are great legends. It's Taker is one of the all-time greats. The Rock, who is literally The Rock. But this falls into the same kind of trap that some of these matches fall into on the show where you have so many matches and they're moving through so quick and the main guys, they come out and you see them so many different times that it's two guys who are great legends and that are in their, you know, still relatively young at this point, but there's really like no heat for it. Yeah. And I think there's that that's kind of common with a lot of these matches on this show. Another kind of slow plotting match. Taker, I think, was was fighting through some real, you know, physical issues at this point in his career. We have Boss Man come back out. He's pacing around, looking intimidating. Rock goes for the people's elbow, but Boss Man trips him as he hits the ropes. Fans were not happy about that one. Finally, Kane shows up and just choke slams the rock for the DQ to eliminate his brother. And so the rock, by disqualification is moving on to the finals. It's going to be the Rock and Mankind. Taker, angry that his brother has just disqualified him, punches out the ref, and then the brothers fight backstage. Something I enjoyed, and this happened in the Kane-Taker match as well, is the refs just being genuinely terrified of Undertaker. Uh, and Kane to an extent. I thought that kind of is fun because it kind of adds a dynamic to the match. I mean, because the refs is just absolutely running away after saying, excuse me, Taker, you need to stop punching him in the head. You've been in there for five huh. seconds. Uh, another thing I noticed in this match is the rock, not stopping for a sit up. So whenever undertaker sits up, it's always built as this big thing and people just stop what they're doing. Rock saw the sit up and then just started punching him immediately as soon as he sat up. So, I don't know. It was interesting to see there. It's not something you see a lot, especially in Taker's career. Um, another thought, David, uh, as someone that has actually worked the ropes, so to speak, those ropes don't have as much give as people like to think they do. They so don't. I, they're steel cable. I can only ima- <laughs> I can only imagine how much that rope crucifixion actually hurts to sit in with all the pressure that's getting oh, put yeah, on your when shoulders. It, when you twist it up. Yeah, when you twist it up and you're just kind of like hanging on the ropes. Have you done that, David? It's actually not that bad. It isn't? Okay. No. I just thought, because I mean, the steel cables drawn taut, so I thought maybe that could cause some pain, but obviously not. Uh, there's a The Rockets, a very P.S. Hayes DDT in this match with a little bit of that flair. <laughs> nice callback. Very nice callback. I never thought I would be calling back a Michael P.S. Hayes move on this podcast, but here we it are. Was the on- it was the <laughs> only move he did. It. Sorry. He did a suplex and then the DDT. Hey, there's it. a lot of rest holds in there. Yeah. Uh and then the Kane game uh, taker DQ'd. I had a thought that I frequently have when it comes to heels and retaining their championship, similar to the uh, stipulation where if Edge got DQ'd, he would have lost his championship to John Cena. Why, in that case, does the heel manager, in which case this would have been Lita, uh, simply slap Edge? Because then Edge isn't the one getting DQ'd, it's John Cena, and Edge still retains the championship. I think that's something that you don't see a lot in the WWF, WWE storytelling, but something that 
definitely exists in their quote loopholes of rules. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't just qualify for WWE though. I mean like that, that would literally work anywhere. Like if you have a disqualification work, like, Hey, if somebody comes in and beats you up. The other guy gets disqualified. Heel teammate. Hurts you know, why wouldn't you heel. do that all the time? Yeah. I guess, I guess maybe if it's like really blatant like that, I guess the referee has discretion that maybe he won't disqualify you. If like, Oh yeah, your girlfriend gives you like kind of a lame slap. Oh, I, I would now, right? Like, no. Right. You can, you can just say no, and you're going to wrestle. You know, I never thought about that, David. Thank you. Because I've often wondered that myself. Thank you for putting that into, uh, into a bright perspective for me. You're welcome. I've always thought that I'm very thoughtful, and I kind of I, I see things, and I make connections where others don't. So I'm glad to see <laughs> you recognizing that as well. All right. I'm glad you're done flattering yourself. Um, again, I don't have much to say about this match because – there just wasn't much to it. It was two guys who should have been having like a legendary match, and they had great matches at other times, but this was just not one of them. Too short. Nothing happened. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Move on. Pretty much. Jacob, <laughs> so that's a good theme with you. So the finals are the Rock and Mankind and the main event for the WWF Championship in the finals of the Deadly Game Tournament. Deadly Game! A Deadly Game! <laughs> But we have one last match before we get to the finals. Give those two guys a breather. We have the WWF Tag Team Championship Triple Threat Match featuring the champions, the New Age Outlaws. Oh, you didn't know? <laughs> da, na, na, na. The cool Your ass better call somebody. The coolest guys <laughs> of the Attitude Era, easy. The Road Dog Jesse James, the Badass Billy Gunn, the New Age Outlaws. Did you guys see the guys who had the enormous sign? <laughs> that was literally their entire spiel that they do. Yes. <laughs> it took up it was, like three rows. It was like three rows across the entire section. It was awesome. Maybe like the the single highlight of the entire show for me was that sign. <laughs> uh, but, you know, New Age Outlaws are awesome. Uh, classic, legendary. Talking about remembering guys, how about the headbangers? Mosh and Thrasher, who themselves were WWF Tag Team Champions at one point. And if you guys remember, they resurfaced on SmackDown a few years ago for like two shows. Yep. When they were crowning the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions, which of course, Heath Slater and Rhino won that tournament. And we were all happy and it was the greatest story of the year. And then finally, D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. Jake, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that time that D'Lo Brown wasn't insanely cool? No. No, I don't. Me neither, dude. Me neither. D'Lo's awesome. He has I a very unique chest, chest gear. <laughs> I love D'Lo, and I've always wanted to be able to do that head, head wiggle that he does when he walks into the ring, <laughs> but I can't because it would literally break my neck <laughs> every time I do it. Match is fine, but again, it... Not really much heat for this one either. This is a triple threat tag match, but nowadays when they do it, they just do two people in the yeah. ring, and then there's one team that's going to be standing out trying to get themselves tagged in so they can get involved in the match. This one, they have all three. And honestly, watching this, I like it better the way they do now. Oh, I had the same thought. With all three guys in the ring, it seems a little bit unfocused, and it seems a little bit... I don't want to say sloppy, but it's it maybe was just the teams involved, but the timing seemed a little bit off on most of the things that they did in this match. Still some some cool things though in this match. I, I, I thought it was a, a fine match. 
D'Lo Brown had the coolest spine buster in the history of pro wrestling when he would bring the guy way up, spin around, and sit out on it. Mm-hmm. So sick. It was really good. Awesome move. Um, and the New Age Outlaws. Everyone loves the New Age Outlaws. This one ends a little bit abruptly. Um, Billy Gunn uh, hits a pile driver on one of the headbangers, and he just wins. <laughs> kind of just out of nowhere. A uh, match that lasted 10 minutes and won uh, the third longest match on the show. Only three matches were over 10 minutes. This one, Mankind Stone Cold, and then the Rock Mankind match will go 17 minutes. So you said like this is a triple threat match, a triple threat tag team match where you have all three three legal men in the ring at the same time. They also mentioned that there's the outlaw rule where partners cannot pin partners, which <laughs> I'm not sure why that's necessary, but okay. Uh, it's just a mess of a match to watch. Like I actually I love everyone involved in this match for the most part. I could take the headbangers, take them or leave them, but we got young Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown. We have the New Age Outlaws who are just entirely over. And I this, there's a lot of potential for an exciting match, but this match's flow is just awful because you have usually the third guy in the match is just awkwardly standing in a corner like the single eighth grade boy at a dance. Yeah, and it's <laughs> interesting because this is very early in like the development of triple threat matches, at least in the U.S. Like I think the first triple threat match in WWE was like a couple months before this. And I think it might just own up to the, or it might be amount to the fact that like they didn't really quite know how to work them yet in a kind of a fluid and good way. So it, it is like yeah. two guys who are used to just wrestling one on one with people. They wrestle one on one and the other guy's kind of standing there because they haven't really figured out how to work those spots in a fluid way yet. You might be able to do something with that nowadays with how. I guess more improved or more comfortable you have people with triple threat matches, but I definitely do prefer just having two legal men in the ring and then having that third team. I think it builds in a little bit of a variable, but other than that, there are some spots in this match that are pretty good. Even if the match itself is kind of messy. First of all, young Mark Henry just looks like an absolute hoss and a guy that should have been pushed even harder than he was. Um, there's a weird cut following D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry's entrance and where they just kind of jump right into the match. I'm not sure if something was edited out or not, but yeah, I think the way this man, I, I want to say like the way that the show was edited on the WWE network, I think they kind of cut some stuff out because it just feels like the, the, the transitions between matches are like a little bit too like immediate. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, so I, but... I feel like they, like they probably edited out some downtime. This was the first time I felt like I could notice it, though. This was the first time where it was very noticeable. Uh, But there's a few moves. Uh, Mosh's springboard crossbody over the top rope to the outside of the ring onto the apron was really interesting because you don't see a lot of moves like that. You don't see a lot of people springboarding out of the ring uh, unless they're like doing a Tope Suicida. there's a uh, smooth top rope hur- Hurricane Rana by D'Lo in this match as well. Mark Henry clotheslining the hell out of Road Dog, which was another good spot. And let me just real quickly recognize Road Dog for his mic work. I mean, the guy's delivery, his pronunciation, his diction on that entr- on the uh, entrance, it's just second to none. The guy is an excellent talker, and I really did. It helped me get into this match, even though the match itself was very... Uh, hard to watch. Angelo's uh, over here trying to teach a public speaking course. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. 
Uh, but the crowd was so hot for Billy Gunn. It, and Billy it'll Gunn go is... better than that time you tried to teach math. <laughs> hey, I think I did a good job at that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the crowd's hot for Billy Gunn when he gets tagged in. You have a gorgeous spinebuster by D'Lo. And then just absolute chaos at the end of this match with a very weird Billy Gunn uh, pile driver to end the match seemingly out of nowhere. Um, You know, I don't think we do enough tornado tag matches nowadays. I want to see some more like... Uh... I want to see some more tag matches where it's just eight guys in the ring all at once fighting each other. I think that tag matches, especially if you watch like AEW nowadays, have the potential to be some of the greatest matches of all time from a uh, both a technical standpoint and a drama standpoint because you have the built-in mechanism of the partner breaking up the pin, which we saw a couple times in this match. If you look at NXT tag team matches, David and I talk about like the golden age of NXT tag teams. You had American Alpha, you had DIY, you had the Authors of Pain, you had uh, I'm missing a big one. The revival. Um, the revival. Yeah, you have all of those guys just putting on absolute classics. And a big thing of theirs is the partner breaks up the pin. And I think that that adds to the drama of a match because you're like, he just got hit with three finishers. He's not going to kick out. Well, he doesn't kick out, but his partner breaks up the pin and gives him a chance to uh, collect himself. And I think that that's really interesting that you don't, I don't know, we don't see that a whole lot anymore when, when we get tag matches. But here they broke up a lot of pins, even in a pretty short match. And I, th- I, thought, it made, I thought it made for a good match because, I mean, all these guys are over. They're all good. Mark Henry is fantastic. We'll talk more about him when we get him in like, Man, we need some Hall of Pain, Mark Henry. Yeah, we need Hall of Pain, Mark Henry, man, 100%. Um, But the Outlaws are great. Um, The Headbangers were really good for what they did. So I I enjoyed this match. Yeah, I like this one as too. Again, I thought it was a little bit – the timing was a little bit off on some things, but – Yeah, the ending was weird. Kind of fun. I thought it was a fun match. Finally, we move on after how many of these matches did we have? (laughs) I'm at this I'm is at, uh, this is 14. Number 14 is coming up. So I think 12 of them. 12. So so uh, we have done 11 tournament matches. If okay. my math is correct, correct. We finally arrived at the finals. Mankind and The Rock. The winner will become the WWF champion. Vince and Shane walk out in the beginning of this match to observe and maybe get involved. We'll see. Rock and Mankind square off. Uh, they brawl into the crowd. Rock hits him in the head with a huge uh, plastic trash can, and he backdrops him over the barricade back on the floor. Mankind hits him with a chair, and you know, hey, it's it, it's a Rock-Mankind match. You know you're going to get one thing. You're going to get unprotected chair shots to the head. That's mm. how it worked with those two guys. Of course, no disqualification, even though they're just using chairs all the time in this match. Um, Mankind picks up the stairs to try and use as a weapon as he's holding them up. The rock takes the chair and hits the stairs a bunch of times, which kayfabe is messing up mankind's head because there's his head's like <laughs> next to the stairs. And then he just smashes him right in the head with the chair. The biggest, solidest, unprotectedest headshot <laughs> with the chair that we saw all night. Um, we then get some mankind just taking bumps because that's what he did. Uh, does a diving elbow to the outside. He does a leg drop on the announce table. 
He ends up later going just completely flying through the Spanish announce table. So uh, prayers up for Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savinovich on that one. And, I mean, really, this match took place more outside of the ring than inside of the ring. But then we get back into the ring. Mick kicks out of the people's elbow. We have, he hits the double arm TDT. Out comes Mr. Sacco. He locks on the mandible claw. The crowd is cheering on the Rock. Huge Rocky chants. Every single person in the arena in St. Louis is chanting Rocky. He fights out of it, hits the rock bottom, but takes him a while to be able to cover him. After a while, he finally rolls over, but he kicks out at two. And then the rock locks in the sharpshooter. And if you remember what happened, the Survivor Series before, they were in Montreal, and the most infamous finish to a match in history happened, the Montreal Screwjob. And they just run this back. Because I guess Vince McMahon is just continuing to rub it in Bret Hart's face even a year later. The Rock locks in the sharpshooter. And Vince McMahon calls for the bell without Mankind tapping out. And The Rock is the WWF champion. In 17 minutes, they just completely do the Montreal screwjob finish again. Heel turn. The Rock is heel. Hey, David. Him and Vince and Shane all hug in the ring. David, I have a question for you real quick. Uh, who screwed Bret? I believe, personally, that Vince screwed Brett. Now, I know that's not an opinion that's shared by everybody. <laughs> Listen, Brett screwed Brett, and I'm going to stick to that till, till the day I die. Yeah. However, you know when that was cool? In 1997. You know when that wasn't cool? The same pay-per-view in 1998. Yes. That was dumb. Can let that it. breathe just a little bit. Can let it just breathe a little bit. But then we go out to the, the, the very finish of it. We have the beginning of Corporate Rock. The Rock is now the corporate champion of the WWF. He, call, he cuts a promo where, along those same lines, he says, the people screwed the people. <laughs> and mankind, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's saying, like, why? I didn't tap out. What's, what's going on? What's, what's the big idea here, Vince? So... Rock beats him up from behind. It's a rock bottom. He hits him with the belt. All of a sudden, Austin comes out. Huge pop for Stone Cold, who's made his way back to the arena. Vince and Shane, they run away as Austin and Rock fight. Austin hits Rock with a stunner. Then he hits Mankind with a stunner. And he walks off as the fans cheer. He's flipping everybody off. And that is it. That's the end of uh, Survivor Series 98. So now I see why you did not like the finish after you gave me that little history lesson. I don't Look, I know about... Uh, Brett screwed Brett or Vince screwed Brett. I know about it. I don't know when it happens. That's the big gap in my knowledge. So I did not realize that the finish the year before at Survivor Series 1997 was the infamous Vince screwed Brett, uh, Brett incident. So I can understand now why you would have a different perspective than I do. Yeah. For me, at least in terms of like the, sto- the match itself is fine. It's not like anything special. I think the mankind, a mankind does a lot of cool spots here. I really like the leg drop while Rock was hanging over the table. I also love the arm checks while he had the mandible claw locked in. I'm a sucker for those arm checks. Uh, but the story itself with the, the Rock turning heel, I thought that was really. I don't know. I, I was very invested in. It. I think it's a good swerve, especially for how. Th- they're billing rock and how big boss man's been out there the entire night seemingly to make sure that the rock doesn't move on. I thought that was a good swerve on Vince's part, even if it is the same kind of screw job that we saw the, that everyone saw the year before. Uh, 
Stone Cold going rogue is always really cool. I didn't think Mankind sells the stunner that well. He kind of just falls off Stone Cold's shoulder. But not everybody can be the Rock, man. <laughs> not everyone can be the Rock who just bounces back right up uh, <laughs> and sells the hell out of it. But, I mean, I don't know. I thought the story was really cool. I thought the fact that they had the People's Champ turn heel after giving a promo about a week or two before talking about how he would sooner... Uh, I forget what the exact phrase was, but he would do something before kissing. Yeah. He said he, ass. Would, he would sooner be the people's ass than kiss Vince's ass. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I thought from the story, it would be great. And I enjoyed it, at least for me, not being the history mark that I am. However, now knowing a little bit more of the history about the finish and how when uh, Vince screwed Brett happened. Yeah, it feels like this should have been saved for a little while longer and been it's, more creative. It's just way too much. And I mean, and, and there's nothing that Vince loves more or few things that Vince loves more than like just bringing up the Montreal screw job. Cause he does. I mean, they do this exact finish multiple times and just like various matches over the course of, you know, the, the 23 years since the Montreal screw job. I mean, it's just like Vince just kind of wants to, keep reminding everybody hey remember that time that i screwed brett wasn't that crazy it's just like all right like because this was we something that oh like yeah we got it 23 years ago dude it was something that at the time people were legitimately really really pissed off about and is legitimately a really really scummy thing that he did but he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world to just keep walking back all the time uh and that's you know <sighs> I don't even think I would have liked this match that much, even if that hadn't been the ending. Cause like I wasn't super invested because I knew that there was going to be some kind of chicanery that was going to, you know, kind of ruin the ending. But like the, the rock and mankind had a much more memorable match in night. Uh, 90, 99 or 2000. I think it was 2000. It was when, it was when Mick finally won uh, the championship. Was that was that Raw two? Was that in two thousand? That was I think that was nineteen ninety nine. Ah, because I just I, ju- I, th- I just watched it and hell of a match, hell of a moment. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know that was that was a much better uh, showing of this match than than this one was. And I don't know, I just this whole card was full of matches that I could just not get into whatsoever, even with some of the biggest stars. Because like as soon as I started to care about it, bam, over. And this match was like 17 minutes, I think I saw. But with the ending of it, like by the time, you know, if they had been given three more minutes to work to a real finish, I think this match could have been great. But we're, 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 it's ruined with that ending. So I think, Jake, you just hit the nail right on the head there. It's littered with iconic matchups. I mean, mm-hmm. Man- Mankind and Al Snow had a rivalry for a little bit. This is not the only match they've had. Uh, you see Stone Cold versus Mankind. You see Kane versus The Undertaker. You see Undertaker versus The Rock. The Rock versus Mankind. Uh, you see a lot of marquee matchups that we know of, but none of these matches we listed as that best match. And it's right. just there for the draw, so to speak. It's because, oh, you know what's going to get ratings? Undertaker versus Kane. You know what's going to get under ratings? Having... Undertaker versus The Rock in the semifinals, having Stone Cold versus Mankind in the semifinals. So it it seems like that was the whole plan, is just to get these juicy matchups that have a history and then end up being 
and then do nothing. Yes. And I went through, I looked at Dave Meltzer's ranking, uh, star ratings for this. It's a lot of duds. It's a lot okay. of duds on the card. But at the same time, this is, I think, while it isn't great on its own, this event sets up and directly leads to a lot of great things that wound up happening. This the is first- The Rock's big heel turn. This is the creation of the corporation where The Rock really was positioned as a top guy on the level of Austin yeah. and became a real superstar. It started here. He had only just recently kind of struck out on his own, uh, leaving the nation of domination like a couple months before me. This was like the start of his big singles run as a top guy. It led to, and, and that moment leads to the big rock mankind feud that stretches like all through 99, where you get the I quit match where rock hits mankind in the head 17 times. It leads to uh, mankind. This is your life, which is the highest rated <laughs> segment in the history of Monday night raw and a record that will never be broken. It leads to, Austin uh, Rock in the main event of WrestleMania 15 a few months later. And, you know, just the the continued ratcheting up of the Austin-McMahon feud as well. It is something that kind of sucks on its own. Like, just watching it in a vacuum, it's not really a great show. But it does its part to set up a lot of incredibly memorable and well-loved things that happened after it. And the th- so another thing too, and it kind of goes in lo- along with that, is just thinking about the stars back then. Who were the guys back then? And you see them pretty much all on this card, maybe with the exception of Triple H and Shawn Michaels. But you get The Rock, you have Mankind, Undertaker, Kane, uh, Stone Cold. You have all these guys, and they're billed more or less as top guys. You could say to various degrees, but they're all like the top of the card guys. And you look at WWE now, and you look at the top of the card, and it's just, they don't have that depth anymore. It doesn't stack up. Like, yeah, we love Bray Wyatt here, and Bray Wyatt's doing some awesome things right now. Braun Strowman, we have had various degrees of success with already. But after those two, I mean, they had Miz and Morrison challenge for the titles last time. I mean, yeah, Miz is always a th- easily build up as a credible threat, but he's kind of, again, it's people love or hate the Miz, and it's hard to take him seriously sometimes. On Raw, you have Drew McIntyre, who's looking really good. They built Bobby Lashley really good. But now you're just giving a title shot to Dolph Ziggler, who has been the quintessential guy that they throw in when they have no one else to be at the top of the card and always feels like a throw-in and never feels like a legitimate threat to win the title, except for his run back in, what, 2012, 2014? That time frame? Yeah, so, yeah sure. So... so The stars back then versus the stars now, I think that's kind of what helps sell the story. And yes, even though this pay-per-view isn't spectacular in terms of match, the story it tells and what it sets up for is really what makes it meaningful. I agree. I agree. agree. So let's go on to our two and a half marks. It's the name of the podcast. It's the whole (laughs) thing that we're doing here. Uh, Jake, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start us off. So I'm giving my half mark today to... Mick Foley, and I'm not giving it to Mankind for a reason. It's because I, like, whenever you see Mick Foley nowadays, he seems fine, but I legitimately wonder how much he's been hurt by the damage he took in his early career. I wonder how much 
those unprotected chair shots really did to him because they could not have felt good. Okay. David, have you had the opportunity to get hit by a chair yet? I have not, and I hope it stays that way. I was going to say, are you, are, are you looking forward to that moment at all? Not particularly, but hey, you know, and that's it's, even it's with, part of the business. I'll say, and that's even with the new protocol where, you know, you always protect your head. It's mostly chair shots to the back. But Foley was just, there was the one time the Rock hit him with like seven unprotected shots while his, hang, his hands were cuffed behind his back. And it's, I don't know, it's just, that would be a terrible look nowadays, obviously, for obvious reasons. And it's not a great look back then either. So yeah. I just, I, I really wonder how much that had hurt him. And we're but, just a couple of months after, like in, here, we're just a couple of months after the famous Undertaker Hell in a Cell match. Oh, yeah. He and like, thrown he, off the cage. Yeah. And like, le- like, legitimately was knocked out by going through the cage. Just incredible damage. My one mark. Is going to my man, Ken Shamrock's arms. Did you all see his arms? <laughs> Did you see them? You couldn't not see them because when he walked into the ring, his arms were shining like gold. And boy, did they look good. He, w- he could have been Big Papa Pump before Big Papa Pump. Just absolutely glorious. And it's not talked about enough. So I'm here to make sure Ken Shamrock's arms get their airtime. And my two marks tonight go to the greatest thing I saw on uh, the entire pay-per-view. And that was the ass of Billy Gunn's pants. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. He, he turned around on his entrance and pointed, and they just had two cutouts on his ass cheeks. <laughs> hey, they called him Mr. Ass for a reason. <laughs> the amount of confidence you have to have to wear that. Think about that. Would you all wear assless chaps? Hell no. No. Absolutely. Billy Gunn basically wrestled in assless trunk. Like, uh, that is just absolute perfection in professional wrestling. So my half mark goes to Mick Foley, one mark to Ken Shamrock's arms, and two marks to Billy Gunn trunks. I'm going to go next because I feel like we never end with Angelo. So I'm going to give him okay. the chance to finish okay. this off on the two and a half marks. We're going to switch up the order a little bit. My half star goes to the glass shatters sound effect. <laughs> there is no greater, oh shit, something's about to happen <laughs> sound effect in wrestling. And I know when people, like, there, there are definitely better themes, I think, nowadays broadly than back then. Yeah. Because a lot of themes back then are, I mean, like Ken Shamrocks, for instance is just like the most generic rock riff of all time. Mankind's is really odd. A lot of ones today are kind of generic too, but I think there are more good ones now than then. But the iconic ones back then stay iconic. Like the glass shatters. Because, I mean, it's just, it's that sound effect and the crowd goes crazy. Like, you know, there's instantly going to be a huge pop and something's about to get messed up. And it's awesome. My one star... Right. You gave yours hey, hey, for my hey. one mark. My one mark goes to you gave yours to Ken Shamrock's arms. I'm giving mine to Kane's arms because uh. my man looked jacked <laughs> out of his mind. And when you have a guy who's seven feet tall and is that jacked, terrifying. I mean, he looks like the mountain from Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's insane. And my two marks goes to the New Age Outlaws 
probably inspired by just that sign that had their whole spiel, <gasps> an entire section wide, three rows deep. I don't know how long it took those guys to make that, but it was worth it because it was the best part of the show for me. And I mean, every single person in the crowd knew every single word of that intro for the new age outlaws as they should, as they should. It's like when we did King of the ring 2000, the thing that stuck out to me was even though Scotty too was never a main eventer. He was never a big star. When he hit the worm, the fans went crazy. And for a second, everybody was completely in unison. And it was the same thing with the New Age Outlaws. And that's just wrestling magic. You see, this was the wrong one to put me last for because I feel like mine are just so boring compared to yours. <laughs> um, first, and I do have to recognize the New Age Outlaws. It hurt to leave them off this list for me. But I think the three I have... I can't not have or leave off. So let's start off with my half mark. And I'm also going to go to, uh, I'm giving it to mankind. I mean, the guy who's never been in great ring shape, <laughs> uh, but he's a guy that I count. I, I measured out how much he was in the ring. He was in the ring for about 33 minutes this entire night. So the ability to go that long, especially with those breaks in between, I think that kind of, it, it's hard to do and the shots that he's taking the moves that he's doing like he does that cross body onto the announce table uh he takes the ch- unprotected chair shot to the head he takes a ddt to the head he takes two stunners this night i uh, i just think that he puts in a good work rate for a guy again like i mentioned before isn't really a good in-ring shape kind of person he's a guy that's gonna do a bunch of spots and to do spots for 33 minutes is no easy task. Uh, my one mark is going to go to the rock. I mean, the charisma that he oozes in every match, no matter how long or short it is like the first match he has with big boss, man, he starts off the match. Well, presenters just by shooting that eyebrow to the crowd and the crowd just goes nuts for it. I mean, when you can get a crowd to go crazy for just an eyebrow lift, <laughs> you, you know, you've made it. And he hey, definitely is a guy like the, that. It's the people's, eyebrow the people's eyebrow very good uh <laughs> and then in the ring like he had a lot i think most of his matches were pretty good watchable i mean not counting big boss man uh because obviously that match was three seconds long but him versus Kim shamrock was pretty good uh him versus the undertaker even if it is a slower match was pretty good him defeating mankind in a match that went 17 minutes longest on the card good match and i think that the fact that you see him turn heel in this match and you could also see those allusions to it in his earlier matches. I thought that was really good and I appreciated it. So I'm giving my one mark to the rock and time for me to get some real heat because my two marks are going to the one, the only Vincent candy McMahon, because I think he does a good job. He is a despicable heel this entire time. He's the puppet master here. Uh, he plays a role, but you never feel like he's overplaying it. He's never over-featured. I thought the side picture-in-picture parts were a little bit unnecessary, seeing him like during the X-Pac, uh, X-Pac Stephen Regal match. Pretty unnecessary to see that picture-in-picture until you see Austin has a bye. Uh, but when you see him interfering in every way throughout this card, I couldn't not give it to the prime, evil, Scooby-Doo villain known as Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Fantastic. So, Greatest heel in history. Whenever you talk about Vince McMahon, I, I'm always directed to think about my favorite guy, uh, 
Bruce Pritchard. And on his podcast, he'll talk about like, he'll say, you know, Vince booked that, but he'll leave it kind of up in the air as to which Vince it was. So I'm just going to say that Vince is the best booker named Vince of all time. And I'm just going to leave whoever second place is to the imagination. I mean, it could be, yeah, could be a lot of Vince's. <laughs> could be Vince Coleman from the St. Louis Cardinals in the 80s. Vince Culpepper. Yeah. No, I'm talking about talking about guys who are booking wrestling. I know. He wouldn't <laughs> book no wrestling. You don't know anything. I hate you, Vince Russo. All right. Hey, so one more order of business. You got to spin the wheel. We got to find out what we're going to do Let's next week. Best, ki- best part of the show. Boys, what are you feeling? I kind of want something with the shield on it. Ooh. Okay. I, you mentioned this a while back, David. I want some absolute trash WCW 2000. Hmm. That's what I want as well, but I don't think that's what we're going to get. No. Oh, wait. No, no, no. I got to re, I got to, I got to re-roll this because, uh, we got something that we already got. What really already? <laughs> we got hell in a cell. To, <laughs> the hell in a cell that we already did. Wow. Let's spin it back again. Okay, interesting stuff. I think we might have an NXT. Yes. For the first time, we have landed on an NXT. And it's not just an NXT. It's an NXT UK event. It is NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff from August of last year, which, Jake, you know what the main event of that was. Is this Walter Walter Tyler Tyler Bate? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Angelo, have you seen this match yet? Yes, I did, and it was phenomenal. I'm excited to watch it again. There better be some Pete Dunne on this card. Uh, There is no No, because he's already moved over. He's already moved on to the next team. It doesn't matter because Walter Walter Tyler Bate is one of the greatest matches I have ever seen in my entire life. Big, strong boy. Just a big, (laughs) strong – two big, strong boys. Doing some big oh, I am boys so stuff. excited. I'm so uh, this Dude, is like I, am... I have been wanting to rewatch this match recently. <laughs> and but I have to like sit down and carve the time out of my day to do it because it is 45 minutes long. Oh, and it's worth and from the second that they like lock arms in the beginning, I am invested. Walter Tyler Bate, NXT UK takeover Cardiff. Easily the most recent thing we've done because it was last August. It is literally less than a year ago. But we are going to watch it and relive it and remember it next week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So until then, I'm David Statman. And for Jake Long and Angelo Anglisa, once again, everybody, thanks for listening.